Welcome to the Drive Time News Blast. 30 minutes, 45 for patrons of news of the day from a perspective of truth, liberty and justice. This is Monica Perez. And I'm Brad Binkley. Our top story is actually breaking news coming out of D.C. I've seen the Washington Times notifications coming across my phone regularly. The U.S. Capitol first report was the U.S. Capitol was on lockdown. There was a shooter there. The guy rammed a barrier. He and two cops were taken to the hospital. Just saw another flash that one of the cops died. That's the story. And I just I had a couple of thoughts on this. One was, I you know I don't know what's what's happening there. I don't know if the story is true or false. I don't know how where this is going to go. I cannot help but think, however, that part of this idea of DC on lockdown, maybe even going through drills, if this is a drill, is a way to intimidate legislators or m- maybe tee it up for a coup or the appearance of a coup from the military. And I and I do think that the insight yesterday I had about Mr. Robot really articulated or solidified my feeling that the real – it goes back to something I read in a report from Iron Mountain where they said, we want an international police force to get people to freak out about world power and re-up in their loyalty to the nation state, for example. Like, so they they are, they'll use world power, they use the nation state, they'll use big philanthropy, they'll use whatever they need to to further their agenda. But I do think that one thing that is slowing them down is the Constitution and the Bill of Rights, our democratic processes, and our representative government. And as much as they are flawed and they're leading us to socialism and tyranny and the welfare warfare super state, I still think it it is the the one thing, the most uh, effective barrier, to the extent any barrier is effective, to this descending tyrannical technocracy it's i call it the thin ecru line for the parchment yeah there's some strange things going on in dc you bring up the fact that everything is barricaded down which makes you wonder how this actually went down today how he got to where he was and what the perimeter was like yeah so i yeah i I, it hasn't unfolded yet but what really bothered me about this story like i was even going to wait on the story and just see what happened maybe bring it on monday but the washington times which is like just republican like it's not it doesn't even pretend not to be it's just freaking republican i don't even like it because it's it's just republican it's not even like conservative yeah and the last sentence of this last article i read on this breaking news was this and it really triggered me i thought i was above this security is still on heightened alert after the insurrection in which thousands of supporters of then president trump stormed the capitol in an effort to stop the electoral college vote counting so they're confirming the narrative using the language and the framing that the, quote, opposition is using, which is something we learned about in the narrative warfare, psychological warfare videos. And it's a complete lie because the people were not there. They It wasn't an insurrection. They did not storm the Capitol. And they weren't there to stop the counting. They were there to show their support for the people who were counting it because it was the last chance to investigate allegations that are still being pushed through the courts about the 
voting fraud that may have overturned some of these electoral certifications. Yeah, I mean, it doesn't it even make sense that they would be there to stop the counting. And That's not what they, they wanted the counting to happen because they believed there was going to be yes. people that were going to object. And there well, was allegedly going to be people. There's a memo, you know, that that whoever wrote that article wrote at the end. It's make sure that anytime anything happens in D.C., put in a sentence that it was because of this insurrection. It's a lot like the Russian narrative where the, both the left and the right would confirm in the way they talked about it that Russia interfered in our election. It was just the difference was that it was on the side of Trump when if, when you look a little deeper, it doesn't look like it was, quote, Russia, who was the one who was behind that little Yes, in that in that case, I noticed this in that case and many other cases, the opposition stipulates to the facts and then just moves on to the issue, to the bickering. But if you don't, if you recognize that a lot of these facts are made up to justify policy agendas, what you need to do is tear down the facts, because what they're trying to say is 10,000 years of legal tradition doesn't make sense because the facts no longer fit the human nature or the society that gave rise to these time-held truths about, it's what Chertoff said about legal architecture. Why should Congress redo the legal architecture, uh, architecture of this country? Because the facts are changing. And that's why the facts are so important. So when they stipulate to facts that are not true, yeah. they are playing, that, that is just 75% of the battle. And it's building that narrative in those unquestioned assumptions that it's putting in people's brains and the unquestioned assumption being that definitely Russia interfered, definitely was an insurrection. Nobody's questioning that anymore. And it's when you skip past those assumptions and don't question it is when you can fall trapped to that information, you know, those information warfare tactics. Speaking of the Chauvin trials going on this week, and there was a little bit of little bit of narrative warfare going on within the presentation by the prosecution and defense, which is interesting because you're going to see that in courts, but it is interesting to watch here. Definitely a tough trial to watch, but what the prosecution is doing or has been doing this week is they're trying to get ahead of the defense's argument. The defense is going to argue that George Floyd died of a drug overdose of fentanyl. There was so much fentanyl in his body that it would kill any normal human being. And the prosecution is trying to get ahead of that by framing the issue before the defense gets to frame the issue. So they brought on George Floyd's girlfriend to talk and to humanize George Floyd. And it was very difficult to watch. It was very sad. You feel for her when you watch it. And she talked during her testimony about how they were both addicted to drugs. They were both addicted to opioids and that they usually took oxycodone and oxycotton. So, the defense's argument is going to be, or the prosecution's argument is going to be that Floyd did not die of a fentanyl overdose because he was an opioid addict and because he likely had built up a tolerance to fentanyl. Therefore, even though he had a high amount of fentanyl in his body, it was not enough to kill somebody that had a tolerance in there. However, no, nowhere can I find where anybody is saying that George Floyd was addicted to fentanyl. Now, fentanyl is an opioid, but it's different and it's much more powerful than the other opioids like oxycodone, oxycodone. I mean, it dwarfs it in the amount of how lethal it is. So I'm not seeing that argument anywhere, which makes me think that he probably was not addicted to fentanyl. And his girlfriend, during her testimony, 
she said that they, that they got the drugs, the oxycodone, the oxycontin. They usually got the drugs from the man who was in the car with George Floyd during his arrest, which is Morris Lester Hall. Now, Morris Lester Hall said the public defender submitted a, a motion to the court saying that if called to testify that he would plead the fifth because he doesn't want to incriminate himself. And there's a couple of reasons why he might do that. He gave the cops a fake name at the day of the crime at the scene. He was there was a warrant out for his arrest because of a felony firearm possession, felony domestic assault, and a felony drug possession. So he had a lot of incentives there, and there could be more incentive that I'm not seeing anybody talk about. Because this relevant question that the jury is going to have to consider and, and decide based on what they get here from from the lawyers is whether or not they believe George Floyd died because of the knee that was on his neck or because of the fentanyl and other drugs that was in his body. There's also methamphetamine that was in his body as well. And that's, that's a tough, tough thing for the uh, jury who's not medical experts to figure out. So what I wonder about is, did George Floyd know that he was taking fentanyl? What did he routinely take fentanyl to build up that tolerance or did he routinely take, take oxycodone? And on this day, he took a fent- he took oxycodone, a fake oxycodone that was actually laced in fentanyl, which ultimately killed him. And the latter instance is something that's been happening across the country at an increased rate in 2020, specifically, specifically in Minneapolis, Minnesota, four times the amount of fake oxycodone laced with fentanyl has been pumped into Minnesota and has led to deaths from overdose skyrocketing in and around Minneapolis, Minnesota, so much to the point where the DEA issued a public health alert warning about this back in the middle of last year. And all of this is going on. These drugs were coming in to Minneapolis at the time when George Floyd died. So there is questions to be asked there. And the reason those questions need to be asked is because the DEA is going hard after drug dealers that sell drugs to people who think it's one thing, but actually it ends up being laced in fentanyl and killing them. And there was a case in December of 2020 where the DEA, they're prosecuting a guy who exact exact situation I described, he sold somebody something, the guy thought it was oxycodone, turned out to be fake oxycodone, laced in fentanyl, the guy took it, he died. So, and they're charging this guy with Minimum of 20 years in prison to life in prison. So I don't know how you find out. I don't know what questions you have to ask. But if you're investigating this case, you want to go ask this guy what he knows about the drugs that he if he if he is the one that George Floyd got the drugs that he took that day. That based on the toxicology report, they cannot determine whether or not George Floyd would have died anyway. The. Toxicology reports concluded that if George Floyd was just found in his house, same situation, then they would declare that it was an overdose. They're not saying that is what caused it because they they have these other circumstances there, but based on what they found in his body. And what the prosecution is going to argue is that, no, no, George Floyd was an addict. He built up the tolerance. And the defense is going to say no. So that's why it's relevant whether or not he knew he was taking fentanyl and he had a history of taking specifically fentanyl. And this drug dealer is pleading the fifth. He's the guy who you're going to ask to get those questions. And this scenario, imagine this scenario. Chauvin gets off. Chauvin gets off. George Floyd's drug dealer, the guy in the car with him, gets taken in and gets convicted. Hell will break loose. Yes. If this guy gets, if Chauvin gets off, that will make hell break loose. I don't I think that other story, unless they actually make it a big story, I think Chauvin getting off will make hell break loose no matter what. 
Yes. No matter what. So I think that's what what we've got to watch out for, for sure. But the power of journalism is pretty strong and we're not going to know the real story and you can still get people going nuts. I actually tweeted and got some big snaps for saying I'm from now on going to put an asterisk next to the word journalism because... Not that we shouldn't already have, but Lester Holt, who was getting the Edward R. Murrow Award for Lifetime Achievement in Journalism, said uh, he thinks it's becoming clear that fairness is overrated, that we should always give both sides equal weight does not reflect the world we find ourselves into. So this is this is activist journalism, like activist judiciary. He says that the sun sets in the West is a fact. A contrary view does not deserve our time and attention. But as you point out, when you're talking about things like a trial, when you talk about the facts and the and the a legal question, those are two separate things. And the facts are not always crystal clear. If this guy's going to be the arbiter of the facts, then he can just say something like, isn't this outrageous that that guy is going to jail and not Chauvin? When in reality, the fact of what killed George Floyd is what's actually important. And what we need to do is know all the data. And if you cannot determine it, you can't put the guy, you cannot actually convict Chauvin. Now, what Chauvin did might have been uh, otherwise. It could have been attempted murder. Yeah. But yeah. but it wouldn't actually be murder right. yeah. if if he wasn't the cause of death. So uh, they these. So your friend, <laughs> this guy Lester Holt's um, comments were highlighted on reliable sources. Of course they were. <laughs> and and here was the thing: you're gonna love this or hate it. He, the newsletter from Reliable Sources, the most unreliable source on television, uh-huh. says uh, they praised Lester Holt's speech as being a sharp critique of both sideism. <laughs> oh my gosh! Both sideism. Both sideism. This is crazy. Remember the narrative warfare stuff where she was talking about how nar- narrative warfare. The narratives are so powerful that the most powerful ones will exclude an alternative narrative altogether. Yeah. Well, these guys now feel like it's their job as journalists to decide, and it's and it's very clear that what he's saying is his narrative is as rock solid as the sun rising in the west. Yeah. And and you know you could just it's, say what is what does west mean? You know like you could just is it because the sun rises there like you is like words have power they can rewrite words both sidesism. Why that all of a sudden it's an ism to know that there are two sides to every story and then go from there. That is an Orwellian term if I've yes. ever heard one there. Both yes. sidesism. Wow. It's quite bad. And there was another CNN reveal that I found to be, or I mean, anybody who's seen it is just like, are you kidding me? There was a chick. She was a former Baltimore health commissioner. Her name is Dr. Leanna Wen. She she went on Chris Cuomo's show, like my least favorite show. Well, I never watched the show, but he just drives me absolutely crazy. She said 
that she discussed how to overcome vaccine hesitancy. This is quotes from her. She said this and she was like so sincere, like, you know, she has no idea the impact of what she's saying, what she's really saying. She says, we have a very narrow window to tie reopening policy to vaccination status. Otherwise, if everything is reopened, then what's the carrot? How are we going to incentivize people to actually get the vaccine? We need to make it clear to them that the vaccine is the ticket back to pre-pandemic life. So that's why I think the CDC and Biden need to come out a lot bolder and say, if you are vaccinated, you can do these things. Here are the freedoms you will have. That is crazy. They're openly talking about how they're training us. They're trying to train us like dogs. Yes. And how about this? What if she had said these people are going to reopen, we are going to have bodies in the street, and then it will be too late to just vaccinate because so many people will be dead because this thing is real. (laughs) Why wouldn't she say that? Why wouldn't she say it's an actual public health problem? Right. You know, instead of saying we, our primary goal is to get people vaccinated. And if they're out with the reopening, we are, we are, the lockdowns are there to blackmail people into getting vaccinated. I mean, yeah. that has been true for a year. Yeah. But the exactly. fact that she's completely been, become untethered with the, from the, from the concept of this, of the vaccination being there to prevent deaths. It, Fauci has done similar. Fauci, when he lied about the mask thing back in March, or he, he like kind of said he lied, and the reason he gave was, well, we needed to reserve those masks for the public health officials, so we just needed to tell the public a little white lie. And that's what they do with these crisis communication strategies. It's all about the action they're trying to compel you to do or not do. And just like Lester Holt, he's like, look, we need to say – it's so – it's like newspeak, it's communist, um, you know – propaganda talk it's just you say whatever you have to say to get what you want and you call that truth right that's what truth is exactly and and there's been some other incentives that giving that have been given out specifically in major league baseball as the season opened yesterday there were a couple things that i noticed for the season opening and the first thing i noticed was that some players wore masks on the field while they were playing like out in the outfield, some players wore mask. And here are some of the incentives that the players are going to have to deal with as they're getting pressured to get the vaccine. The a memo was sent out from the players union. And once players are fully vaccinated, they will be allowed to gather in hotel rooms and other indoor spaces without mask or distancing as long as there are other non-fully as not as long as no non-fully vaccinated people are not around. So you can't have those poison that non-vaccinated people around. And they also can carpool together. They can play cards with their teammates on airplanes. They can even go out and eat at restaurants. They can meet friends and family that they bring on the road with them out at restaurants. And they can bring people into their hotel rooms. No word on whether or not the groupie has to be vaccinated. I presume <laughs> that she would have to be. And... They do this thing where if a team... How are they gets, figuring all this stuff out? Are any of these people incapable of getting an ID? Like, are, are these people in that category that they can't... According to Joe Biden, they are. If they can if, prove that they're vaccinated, but they can't figure out how to... It's like, do you ever see that? Well, you don't fly, but 
too much, but there's a they make all these jokey commercials now out of the security videos to like they've learned that just droning on about how to put your seatbelt on doesn't work. So they have these crazy videos where they know it's stupid that they're trying to explain to you how to work a seatbelt. So they show like aliens from outer space, like, what is this? Like, you know, and then people like trying to jam it in their ear and stuff. And then the stewardess comes over and it's like, this is how a seatbelt works. You know, I just envision that yeah, with like, yeah. this is how you get a driver's license to vote. Yeah, you know, like yeah. you're an alien from outer space. You can't figure it out. But of course it stands to reason that they can all figure out the complicated vaccine testing, COVID contact tracing lab time you know what i'm saying it's so arbitrary it seems like too it's confusing one of my favorite ones is that vaccinated players will not have to wear mask in the dugouts or in the bullpen and they won't have to be required to wear the tracking devices for contact tracing you know it makes no sense at all because i just read an article and tweeted it today that said even if you've been vaccinated you should still get tested because we don't know if vaccinations prevent the spread yeah the thing, they're do- the, the thing that they're doing that we could see businesses do, which is the peer pressure angle, is that teams that get 85% of their tier one individuals, which is players and coaches, vaccinated, they will get even more benefits, more an- anonymities. They will be able to go back and get in the whirlpools in the clubhouse. They'll be able to get play pool in the club. Yeah, yeah, it's gross. I know. Whirlpools. I'm already skeeved right. by that. So, like, I don't care what what things are crawling around you get incentives and peer pressure and we're seeing that across the board they're even offering in one state pot for shots where if you show your vaccination card you've been fully vaccinated then you get a joint you know i always said this about legalizing pot i said of course the drug war is totally wrong and there you can't ban god's gift to man i mean really it's ridiculous but i knew i was like once you make it quote legal then not only will it be taxed and regulated to the point where it's like no longer even organic, all both of which happen, but it'll be promoted. Yeah. They promote it. Like, that's the thing. You can't just be like, you know what? Drugs are bad. Don't do them. I mean, I don't know how bad pot is in this day and age, given that they're forcing, not forcing, but so many people are on antidepressants and stuff. So I, I am not going to judge anyone for any of it, but they do then they then they start to push it then they start to push it perhaps there'll be antidepressants for vaccinations yeah well those you get i'm sure people there's no doubt in my mind anyone i mean if you can get an obama phone you can get free prozac for sure (laughs) i bet cvs will give it to you free i I don't even think you have to pay there's some stuff like antibiotics and stuff they'll just give you free really truly it's kind of nuts at this point like a loss leader like get your get your pharma here it's true it's true so before we get to our last story of the free 30 which you are going to tell us about a homeschool law in georgia that may be the first in the country but it's unlikely to be the last so i'm interested to hear how which way it's breaking in these post homeschooling post zoom schooling era And in the Patron 15, where we do a little bit more of the deeper stuff and a little bit more of the lighter stuff. So if you haven't tried one, try it for a month. It's very fun. Uh, In case you wondered, Binkley, I'm sure you've always wondered this. What is my favorite Milton Friedman quote? It's tough. I was just thinking about that the other day. It's tough. But I've settled on one. It is my favorite. And it's highly relevant to what's happening right now so i will tell you about that and i want to hear from you if 
all money is created equal. And if not, is that just a big April Fool's prank gone bad? All right. So interesting. That is one cryptic tease. You don't even know what I'm talking I have about. No idea. And it's and it's your story. <laughs> 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 and of course, a big thanks to the sponsor of today's show. A very special sponsor of today's show. I actually was going to have him on the show anyway, and he went ahead and uh, asked us to sponsor the show before we could even interview him. But we did go ahead and interview him. We put it's Etienne de la Poitie squared. We put the video on Rockfin. You can go to Rockfin at Propaganda Report and sign up and then you can watch that free we put some free stuff up there we put that but we're also going to put our interview with etienne tomorrow into the dnb feed so you'll be able to just hear it regular audio but he uh it's like the mutual admiration society absolutely love what he's doing he has this book you can go to government-scam dot com and it's a book government the biggest scam in history and when i first saw it it's it's like a coffee table book kind of a comic book it's a very nice high quality book when i first saw it i thought i know the government's a scam i do not need to read this book but i've done an experiment and i've left it around my house and i've just like just kind of uh, oh check this out like what do you think of this and people have looked at it and cannot put it down and literally the last person i gave it to threw it down and said Forget it. I'm moving to Alaska, whatever. But the but what Etienne suggests is, among other things, the Free State Project in New Hampshire. So it's a book that's designed for visual learners that has various um, sections that really demonstrate like the, the first section or one of the earlier sections has side by side comparisons of East Germany, Nazi Germany, the USSR and current practices in the US. It's pretty shocking. And then it goes through a lot of stuff like that visual quotes, everything that really wake people up to the true nature of government. And then it wraps with upcoming events, with things that you can do, action items. And not every action item is for every person and not every, like I like that his suggestion is to go to a state that you may be able to convert in large part to your way of thinking as a libertarian. And his, uh, his suggestion is not to, um, try to have an insurrection in the Capitol. That's not his suggestion. But if regardless of what you think the right plan of action is, I personally think defending the Bill of Rights is still the most important thing. But this book wakes people up to the true nature of the problem. And I like that. And he is so happy that I love his book that he actually put a little section on his website, which is where you can get all the backup materials. Very compelling. So if you go to government-scam.com slash Monica, you can, um, he does a little tribute to me. It's very cute. <laughs> and, and he says also that you can get 10% off of everything except for like bulk purchases. If you want to buy for a whole classroom or whatever, you can't, that's already discounted. But with the discount code Monica 10, you can get anything. And he suggests you buy five books and give them to people. I did that. And I'm going to, and I, and I asked the person who, who liked the book, who threw it down and said, I'm, I'm out of here. I said, who should I give this to? And he said, you'll know. The person will come in. You'll know. He'll just be like, you know what? You might. <laughs> 
like this book. So I thought that was a good plan. Yeah. I'm waiting for them to arrive. And that's it. So highly recommend government-scam.com slash Monica. And as I said, you can get that at Rockfin. We like you to support our sponsors and also people who we are like-minded with. And also, while you're at it, you can support us. If you notice that some of the videos there, they actually require us to have exclusive videos there, but we really save the deep dives thanks to binkley the stuff that he gets from the horse's mouth itself our latest series is will knock your socks off this narrative creation and these people like they're patting themselves on the back for manipulating people out of their own free will and ability to reason it's really shocking very triggery Thank you, Bailey. Yeah. <laughs> he triggers me. I'm the triggery. It's very annoying. But anyway, so you can watch me get triggered. So, but that is a great deal. You go to rockfin.com slash propaganda report and you get all of our exclusive stuff, all the free stuff we put up there, which is almost all of our videos. And you get the exclusive stuff of every other creator on Rockfin. It's like Netflix. I mean, it's pretty awesome. I love it. I use it and I'm on it. So uh, if you do want to support us through Rockfin, make sure you subscribe through one of our videos. And if you do, well, you'll still hear these promotions, but if you're a patron, you won't, but that someday we'll put them together. Anyway, with that said, on with the show. All right. Well, there is some new legislation that has been passed in Georgia that is if it's not already being presented, similar type of legislation in your state, it no doubt will, because homeschooling is something that has emerged as a as a public conversation since the pandemic and people have been schooling at home. And what this legislation does is it answers a couple of questions that I know that we've had some people ask is some of the drawbacks, which include not being able to participate in some extracurricular activities. Some people were worried about that. Well, this story in Georgia, this this bill in Georgia, it would require the neighborhoods that homeschoolers are from, the, the high schoolers from those neighborhoods, would be required to allow homeschoolers to try out for the football team, the school musical, or any other extracurricular activities. So that's good, but there is one catch, though. And that catch is that the homeschooler would be required in return to take at least one course at the school. So the question here is, how much indoctrination can you fit into one hour of public school? And will vaccines, COVID vaccines, be required for anyone to show up on campus? That's another good question. That might be a, a good way to not have to go, although you wouldn't be able to do the extracurricular activity. And another bill that affects homeschoolers uh, that also went through is called the Learning Pod Protection Act. That's what they're calling it. And this bill prohibits regulation of homes and other informal places where parents send their kids to work and play together, whether before or after school or to attend classes online. So a lot of things that people are concerned with is that homeschooling will get co-opted and regulated. This bill, on its surface anyway, seems to attempt to prevent that regulation and that co-option. This is the type of stuff I think people talk about what action they can do and how they can you know, take more control versus the powers that be. Go to your legislation or Congress people that you know in your state and talk to them about the homeschooling stuff. Support bills that you think would support what you want homeschooling to be to help protect it from re regulation, to give the kids opportunities you think they would otherwise be taken away from doing homeschool. That is where you can actually kind of 
help push things through to, to create an environment that would be conducive towards homeschooling. And I like what I see. We'll see what comes or what comes from it. I always thought that they should, that they kind of would have to be, or they would have to allow you to participate in sports and stuff because your tax dollars are paying for them. That's a great point. Yeah, they should. They should. Yeah, they shouldn't be able to block you unless homeschooling itself is illegal, which in some countries it is. Is it really? Oh, yeah. I, I, yes. Absolutely. I guess that makes sense. Yeah. Like I, I would just recall a German person telling me they moved here to homeschool their kids. Now, maybe the law has changed since then. Yeah. Germany stepped up a little bit in resisting some of this lockdown stuff. I think they have a few laws on the books in reaction to their yeah, yeah. horrible history. So who knows? But- we have a couple of shout outs. We have some new patrons. I would like to thank for their support. Ray, Anthony, and Rob. Love to see new patrons. It really cheers me up, especially on a day when there's a DPP and it is the first Friday DPP. So it's a disappearing patron party for everybody from patrons of the truth, friends of the show to patron saints, everybody can come uh, in those categories. And what you do is we're on, we're on the screen, having our cocktails, having a chat, having a laugh. And then people are in the sidebar chatting with each other. It's a very nice conversation. And then we'll, we can watch if we, if it's too much, we get the hidden France to come pull some of those comments up. And then we discuss the comments, the jokes. We've got some real, uh, real laugh, laughs going on there. We've got some very funny people in the sidebar. And to the point where, listen to this, this was the shout out teed up for today. It's from Fernando, one of our favorites, really like Fernando. And he said, uh, I would like to give a shout out to the internet friends I've made attending the DPPs after parties and Zoom calls at ATL Connection, at Brucey, at Joe Tundra, at Cat Duckness. I'm missing a bunch more, but I love our community. Fernando in Arizona. Maybe our votes will count. Awesome. That's super sweet. Yeah, yeah. Fernando's a nice guy. If you if you uh, come to some of these events that you'll see him. Too bad he can't come to Neighbors. Maybe we'll get him to hop on a plane Yeah, <laughs> and come to our meetup at Neighbors on April 18th. The New York one is also coming together. It is Friday, April 23rd. So be sure to go to, because I need to, I'm just, it's just going to be like one table, 10 people or something like that. So I just need to know how big a table to get. So if you want to come to the New York one on April 23rd, go to thepropreport.com, go to the meetups tab and just comment in the New York section. And I'll be sure to count you and let you know where we're going to be. But for neighbors, it's Sunday, April 18th at 2 p.m. And it's going to be a good time. I cannot wait. I'm looking forward to it. And now on to the patron 15. All right. You guys can find your drive time news blast every weekday afternoon at thepropreport.com or your favorite podcasting platform with the Propaganda Report podcast feed. If you want access to that extra content Monica was telling you about, go to patreon.com slash propaganda report and become a patron or go to rockfin.com slash propaganda report and sign up there. We will talk to y'all on the patron 15 or next week. Have a great rest of your day.